Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And Jane Pickett, our resident vet at the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in the studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you are very welcome. Uh, questions, please, for Jane. John Paul has taken them 1850-333-103. And I can see them coming in by text and WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. And a listener wants to know, and I thought we'd get this question in, can a dog or a cat pick up the coronavirus. This lady is worried. She's got an old dog that she reckons wouldn't survive. Mm. This is a really, really difficult question at the moment. And I think very much like the human situation, we're learning more and more about the virus every day. It's very, very similar with dogs and cats. Now, I know there has been some things in the news that there was potentially a a dog in one of the other countries, not this country, of course, um, that had low levels of the coronavirus were suspected. And that's where the dog's owner had the the coronavirus. Yeah, it was was what we call a reverse zoonosis, so um, a transmission from a a human to an animal. Now, whether that was direct transmission, we can't prove. It's very, very difficult, and I suppose the information that's out there and available is, is very, very scarce essentially I I would say at this moment in time I would just try and take care of yourself because we know certainly that it seems to be that humans seem to be kind of the main carriers that are spreading it around at present so I think just ourselves to take care and try not to pass that particularly let's say to older people and I suppose our listener is quite concerned because it's an older animal they have and we'd always be worried in the end of the day they're part of our family what I would say is at the moment there's no clear evidence that that seems to be a primary pathway of transmission I think we're learning more and more every day so I think it's not something certainly that we can rule out massively but I think just general vigilance ourselves with our own hygiene yeah certainly that will because is is that is that unusual or usual for Oh, I'm not talking about coronavirus, mm. I'm talking about other diseases. Can you can a human pass to an animal? Can an animal pass to a human? With some things, yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. It's not something that we very regularly see reported, but anecdotally, we, we would get, let's say, um, the most common thing we would sometimes see is dogs and cats that would come in. Oh, he's got a, a fierce bout of diarrhea or he's, you know, he's had a little bit of a bit of vomiting in the last few days. He's off his food. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. That's fine. It may well just be viral, you know, symptomatic treatment. And then at the end of the console, they'll just drop in. Sure, everybody in the house had the vomiting bug last week. And you're thinking, and not, you begin not, to wonder. Yeah. Now, for us, it's incredibly frustrating because, as as a clinician, you'd always find these things very interesting. Where have they come from? But for us, it's very it's very difficult for us to ever prove that there would be transmission like that. But we have our suspicions sometimes of something, yeah. but I suppose it's only natural. Yeah. A lot, a lot of diseases are very kind of um, species based, so they would run except for things like ringworm. Ah, yes, ringworm is an interesting one. We see that, that all of the time. That passes, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, That's, it does. Yeah. So ringworm is actually a little fungal disease which grows on the skin. Um, the classic the classic thing we would see is circular lesions um, of hairlessness on our dogs and cats. Um, cats are sneaky, though. Cats can carry it and not really show very much yeah. signs. Um, Until so there's they an outbreak be, in the house. Exactly. They tend to be the silent spreaders. Um, but certainly, you know, humans, and I suppose vets, it's an occupational hazard for us. I, I don't know a vet in the world who hasn't had ringworm 
living room at one point in time because we deal with pets all of the time so very much in humans you can get little little lesions that are very similar um on the skin so that's that's the perfect example like good good thinking there okay mary <laughs> let's get into your questions mary amalo has a bichon freeze 16 and a half he's gone blind he is eating but uh, she has to help him in and out to the mm-hmm. toilet. He's having difficulty finding himself back into the, the house, obviously, because mm-hmm. of the sight loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything can be done? It's just an old dog. I think this is a really challenging one. Um, certainly old age comes to us all um, with our pets, I suppose, because they have shorter little lives relative to us. We we have the privilege of seeing them usually from their puppy days to their last days. And I think our reader sounds like she's or our listener sounds like she's doing a fabulous job taking taking care of her pet in in, in its dotage, as it were. Um, sight loss is a real challenge, particularly when it's combined with other, let's say, geriatric diseases like perhaps a lack of mobility, stiffness, other other problems. Um, usually with dogs, particularly if they're younger, when they have sight loss, they tend to adapt. They almost make a mental map of where everything is and they tend to, after an initial adjustment period, adjust quite well. In older dogs, sometimes we don't see that phenomena. So sometimes... Um, it can be sight loss just over time, whether it be cataracts or a problem with the eye elsewhere. Sometimes in our older patients, we can get problems where they become bilaterally. So on both sides, very blind, very suddenly, if there were to be a problem deeper, deeper inside. So within the brain. So something, for example, like a, a brain lesion or a brain tumor. Now, these are all very scary things. And I think have a chat to your vet. Sometimes the problem we see with older dogs with vision loss is uh, it tends to kind of come hand in hand and around the same time as we see a little bit of senility creeping in. So perhaps they're not as well able to make that mental map of the world and to be able to cope and adjust. So they do certainly find it an awful lot more of a challenge. I think what you're doing is great. You're helping him in and out. You're trying to make life as easy as possible. Um, I think the real the real difficult question in this case and in a lot of cases when our pets get a little bit older and they have some some problems is is their quality of life yeah so if you feel that your your pet's quality of life is is not what what it once was if the the joy de vivre is some some kind of dissipated away i think it's time to potentially have a chat with your vet see if there's anything you can do to help any measures that can be taken or any diagnostics that need to happen to figure out what's underlying the problem and if there's anything that can be done but I think but you may have to consider having that tough decision. Yeah, you might have to consider. And it is, it, it is hard, time. but all of us pet yeah. owners face it, unfortunately, at, exactly. at some stage. Exactly. OK, a listener has a problem about a dew claw. Yeah. Dew claw. Um, OK, this is it's a terrier belonging to a relative hers. Uh, the vet said that the, it, he got it, it got injured and the vet said that okay. it had to be uh, removed. The mm-hmm. following day, the dog tore the bandage off oh. and the dew claw had only been clipped it hadn't been removed. Anyway, they toodlooed back to the vet mm-hmm. and that's the vet. This listener feels fobbed them off saying he did the best that he could. Anyway, mm-hmm. they had to get antibiotics for the dog. The dog was very sick and miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, the listener feels after an unnecessary general anaesthetic that the dog's owner could simply have clipped the piece of nail themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, any advice from an upset caring dog owner? I think this is a really difficult one. And I think without, let's say, without myself stepping into the vet in question shoes I, I can I suppose it's very difficult for me to comment without having seen the situation at the time if that makes sense I think as vets we always we always try and do the best we can with the situation in the least stressful or least invasive way for our, for the pet in question 
to try and get the best outcome. Dewclaws can be really, really tricky. Now, they're the little. Yeah, so they're the almost, little, if you imagine like an the extra paw, finger, nearly. they're almost like the thumb. They're like yeah. a little vestigial yeah. thumb, as it were. So they kind of sit up kind of at the wrist level. And they do imagining. get damaged, do they? They do. They yeah. are little devils for getting caught in things. And, you know, part of that is that sometimes they're not um, kind of kept as short as they should be. If they become long, they're almost like a little long hook because they won't wear like the other nails on the feet. They won't have any contact with the ground to kind of act as a nail file. So they do tend to get quite long and unruly. So make sure you keep them nice and nice and short. They can be very challenging. They do catch in things. And a lot of the time that we would see is that they've caught in something and maybe fractured the, the nail or just pulled away the nail at the nail bed. Um, and sometimes we have the quick, so the little, I suppose, the the bit underneath that would make the nail and has the little blood vessels in it is sometimes actually undamaged and over a time may even seal itself up and may, if you're lucky, regenerate a new nail. Now, a lot of the time it can be incredibly painful. If you've ever broken a nail, I have. It's absolute agony. Ouch, ouch, ouch. So I think making the patient comfortable with sedation or anesthesia is really what I would do a lot of the time, but it's very, very case dependent. Sometimes we'll have to remove the nail. Sometimes we have to actually remove the bony structure around it. As vets, we always try and leave as much of the natural anatomy there as we can. If it's so healthy. the vet wouldn't have known until they went under anaesthetic yeah. and take a look. To be honest, that's one thing we see with our patients as well is they're really, really painful. It's like ourselves. If you had a broken leg, the last thing you'd want to do if you didn't know what was going on was have somebody poke it while you're awake. So you need you need a lot of pain relief. And, and with my patients, if they have problems and it's not immediately obvious and they're too uncomfortable, sometimes I will you use chemical restraints. So I'll use sedation or anaesthesia just so to make them more comfortable. It isn't necessarily, it's not a necessary no, anaesthetic, it is necessary. I think have a chat yeah. to your vet. I think as vets sometimes we, we always worry that, our, um, let's say, the, the parents of our patients will worry about what we've done. And really we do go at it at the best intention. Yeah. I think have a chat with your vet, raise your concerns. As I say, because I didn't see the dog at the time, I can't really comment. Yeah. But I think give give your vet the opportunity to explain his thinking and, to you. And, and sure why, why he did what he did. Phil says, yeah. my dog is eight months old, has developed food intolerance. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend? It's a palm. And when can I get her neutered? Okay. Uh, food intolerance is a really interesting one, actually. Sometimes it can just be that something doesn't quite agree with us so we are just intolerant to it to a certain degree um, like for me for instance I'm not a big fan of bananas I just don't get on with them um, and sometimes we see that particularly in younger pets true food allergy does happen in our pets but it is actually a lot rarer than we think we think it is somewhat over, over not diagnosed but over expected in the owners okay. so we have a lot of people putting them on let's say grain free diets or chicken free diets or you know eliminating aspects of the diet that may not necessarily need to be eliminated I think if you're concerned that your dog may have an intolerance have a chat to your vet um, it may be that they might suggest an alternative food they might need to have a chat about the symptoms he's experienced as well and just make sure it's not something else that might be causing the problem if it is genuine food intolerance that you're concerned with um, and after discussion with your vet there are a number of allergen tests that can be done um, and sometimes we may even in severe cases of food intolerance or food allergy need to operate what's called an exclusion diet so we'd have to put them on a very very specific diet um, for a period of time to see if their signs resolve and um, to see if they are what we call food responsive so if, if it is really the food that's causing it so I think have a chat to your vet raise your concerns and a full physical exam is always the first step okay. so talk to your vet as for Spain it's always the responsible choice we have enough stray dogs and cats out in the world too many um, too many so for our dogs 
Um, every vet is different so have a chat to your vet about where what at what age they prefer to do them but for ourselves we normally do most most dogs at about six to eight months so he's ready yeah. that palm is ready yeah I think eight if months. it's a palm the one thing I'd say is sometimes it can be very very small um, and sometimes a little bit of size is beneficial so I would actually pop to your vet weighing them is really really helpful to us when yeah. we decide at what point to spay them you just don't um, want so any accidents yeah don't want any accidents so yeah. pop to your vet for a weigh-in and check okay and stay, stay with palm dogs this time we're we've got a 10 year old female Yorkie cross palm. Now, was off form last Sunday. She was walking with almost her back humped and her tummy drawn in. She couldn't lie on her side, wasn't comfortable all day. However, Monday morning, right as rain, dog is perfect. Eating, drinking, going to the toilet, fine. She's in full health on no medication. What could it have been? And if it happens again, should I consider taking her to a vet? Mm. Joan I think if, in if it happens again, it's certainly worth taking to a vet. She, she was obviously like she was actually quite pain. uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So this hunched appearance is kind of like ourselves kind of doubling over. It's yeah. very akin to that. Um, it certainly sounds like she was very off form and potentially had some discomfort in the tummy. Now, seeing as it has blown over really nicely and she's right as rain happy as Larry Great news. see how she goes that's yeah. fabulous if it doesn't recur it may have just been something and nothing a little tummy upset a tummy bug a something little bit she of a hurt that didn't yeah. agree with her yeah it could yeah. have been a number of things it might have been a little pulled muscle if she had overdone it with chasing the ball it could have been a number of things if it recurs again I'd pop to your vet um, recurrence and persistence are two things that we really worry about so if something continues we want you to check it out or if something recurs we want you to check it out so I think have a chat with your vet if it, if it does appear again but if not as long as she's happy as Larry then that's fine Okay and a quick final one a three year old Yorkie who keeps biting his paws is it normal or is it a problem? Mm, that's not particularly normal if it's once in a blue moon potentially um, biting at paws is actually usually a symptom of discomfort but most commonly itchiness um, so itching at the paws or biting and licking at the paws is really, really common in dogs that might have either a flea or a mite infestation or lice. Um, or it isn't an area that they can scratch easily. No, it's not. But also it's an easy area for them to get to. So it's kind of like us as a as a habit we some of us bite our nails because it's easy to get to with dogs they don't tend to tend to bite their nails as a behaviour or bite at their feet as a behaviour unless it's elicited by something like itchiness or pain so I think it is a really common area that we see the signs presenting sometimes it can be an underlying skin allergy there can be a number of things have a chat with your vet we need to rule out that it's not a parasite it's not an infection in the nail beds that it's not an infection between the toes and just see dig a little bit deeper and get to yeah, the bottom Yeah because of it. I know in old Older dogs, mm. somebody uh, like uh, we had a dog years ago, constantly licking, and sort of was arthritis. They were trying to lick the pain away. Can be, yeah. yeah. Discomfort once, is really common. And once it, we got him in and on meds, yeah. he was perfect. Good. All right. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Jane. Have a lovely week, and you we will too. chat to you again next week. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group.